Welcome to Bouncing Back, a podcast about conversations that transform lives. Kathy, today's host, will be speaking with Nicole, who will share her story as an occupational therapist. Over to you, Kathy. Hi, I'm Kathy, and welcome to the Independent Rehab Services, aka IRS, podcast series. Today, we are going to be chatting with a member of the IRS team. I have the lovely Nicole Pendry here with me. She is an occupational therapist who joined our service last year after working for several years at a major city hospital. Today, we'll be finding out more about her daily life working as an OT. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks, Kathy. That was such a lovely introduction. <laughs> no worries, mate. So I've got five key questions that I'd like to go through with you today, Nicole. Sure We're calling it our Take Five interview. So the first one of those is, um, how long have you been an OT? And can you tell us why you chose to become an OT? Sure. Um, I'm in my fifth year of clinical practice and I don't have one of those really special, unique stories (laughs) at school. The careers counsellor suggested um, occupational therapy to me as an option. And at the time I did have a friend who was receiving OT services and I spoke to her and she said that she thought I'd be a great OT so that was really encouraging and um, by the time I finished school I realised it was a bit premature to make a decision about it Mm -hmm. so I took some time off um, and I spent five months in Poland and I volunteered and lived at a school for the blind and partially sighted. Oh wow. And um, yeah I think that really enforced the decision so when I returned home the following year I started uni. Mm -hmm. An OT course at uni? An OT course at uni. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd selected to go to Poland for that reason, to test it out a little bit? I think so. The main driver was around uh, not being ready to make the decision. And then when the opportunity came up to work in that specific school with Mm -hmm. people of varying abilities, uh, I was really excited by it and and I really um, decided to take that opportunity up because I think I thought it, at the time it would help me with making my decision around my career and it definitely did. Uh, but yeah, I felt very fortunate to have that opportunity. It was fantastic. So have you um, had an ongoing passion for, for vision related issues? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it definitely sparked a passion at the time, um, but then you know, um, I got underway with my course mm-hmm. and that steered me in one direction um, into kind of the hospital system, which mm-hmm. was a fantastic opportunity that I loved. Um, and then I got really passionate about neuro. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know um, many clients who experience um, neurological issues do have issues with vision and mm-hmm. perceptual dysfunction and um, interpretation of the environment. So that certainly um, comes into play in, in that area. Um, but my passion, I would say, is in um, neurological rehab. Well, it sounds like you're at the right service then, Nicole, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do here. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've kind of already touched on it a little bit, but, but OT obviously covers a wide range of areas. Could you give us a bit of a snapshot of what your day-to-day life as an, as an occupational therapist is like? It's, is that it's, quite hard? <laughs> well, it's a very hard question, Kathy, as you may be aware, because OTs uh, 
do so many different things. <laughs> um, and I guess for those listening who don't know what OTs do, we work with people to enable them to do um, what they want and need to do. Uh, in their day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and occupation encompasses everything from employment (laughs) to study to driving or showering, toileting, dressing routines um, to appointment management or leisure activities such as bowling or fishing or you know whatever else. (laughs) So we do do everything, we do everything Um, and it's really it's it's such an interesting job and it's so fascinating because you have the privilege of working with people in all their environments, in their yeah. social environments, in their uh, home environments, in their physical environments. And, um, you know, it's really generous of the client to to share that aspect of their living with you. Um, and, and you really get to work with them and their whole story and their whole yeah. picture. So you feel pretty special being an OT. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the other thing we focus a lot on with clients, I mean, we like to be very person-centred mm-hmm. and um, work with them on whatever their goals are, and I guess that's where the the variability comes into it. Um, but we, we do also really focus on their roles, so mm-hmm. you can imagine if you have changes in uh, your abilities that might impact your, your ability to fulfil your role as a parent or a pet owner or a student or a friend and... Um, and so, yeah, I've, I think we've got a pretty great job in that we can work with people in pretty much every aspect of their life, depending on what their, their goals are. Yeah, and it sounds great that you, you have that flexibility, that you can move into all sorts of different environments and really target those key focus areas for that particular client. Definitely, definitely. And um, and I, I think that's where it comes to, you know, listening to the person's goals and that's obviously paramount because otherwise if you're not working with someone toward their goals then what are you doing (laughs) yeah you're not going to get very far yeah yeah so it sounds um to me Nicole that you love being out you know in the community and on the road as part of your role um at IRS definitely is (laughs) how how far um do you travel in your role as an OT at IRS um I've got about maybe three clients at the moment that I, I travel an hour each way to see um, and I don't mind the time on the road. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that's the longest and then the shortest is probably 10 minutes at the moment but, yeah. um, you know, I guess we're all situated in different positions and um, and travel here and there. So, yeah. yeah, so it's good you get to see different parts of the city and learn different, you know, um, activities and features of you know the client's particular area of course yeah that's Mm. that's a great point I think you get to know um even become more familiar with the local recreation Mm. centers and um parks and I've been working with a client on um walking the dog um (laughs) yeah it's been really great um and he and and so yeah I had no idea about the the parks and the ponds in that area until recently so Mm. yeah that's I mean, it's lovely to be able to go see a client yeah. and walk a dog. And, and to help them to reintegrate into their own community as well. Of course, yeah. yeah. yeah that's You summed it up really well, oh, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you've mentioned um, 
the, the neurological you, that you you have a passion for neurological um, conditions. Could you give us a bit more um, information on on what kind of conditions that you come across? I guess um, most of my caseload at the moment is in traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. and. Um, in the past, I've worked a, a couple of different time periods in the acute trauma unit at a major hospital in Melbourne. Um, and so I've had a bit of experience working with people who have just had their accident, usually a motor vehicle accident, or it might be a fall from a ladder mm. or an alleged assault. So pretty horrific accidents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, these people have just come into hospital and they're presenting very different to how they would normally present Mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously it's affecting their personality and behaviour. There's no sense of control and, um, you know, the families are obviously in a very difficult position and um, the main intervention we would do at that early stage would be, um, where possible, supporting the family and the client and education and um, worked a fair bit with clients in post-traumatic amnesia which mm-hmm. is a condition uh, that often happens when you've just had a brain injury and, and you're at kind of a, a peak level of disorientation and confusion mm-hmm. um, and now I, I've you know I've had the privilege of working with clients in the acute phase of recovery in the interim phase in an inpatient rehab mm-hmm. setting and now in the community neuro rehab setting so once again I feel very privileged <laughs> um but it, it is great to work with people across the the spectrum of recovery and, and that time period because um you know as people have more recovery time that everything changes and develops and they're on a journey and um and and I think it's important to work with people along you know different times of their recovery certainly so talking about clients then is there a particular client that may have stood out for you that you've found memorable um pretty much all clients stand out like they're just it's fan it's so fantastic working with people um and you know it's obviously a very um meaningful job in where you do feel very privileged like I keep saying um <laughs> sorry for my repetitiveness but on reflection I think this client you know he stands out for many reasons but uh, when I was a grade one and I first started working in inpatient neuro rehab, it was a bit of a jump. And um, I think that's one reason why he stands out more because, you know, when, when you rotate into a new position, you, it's challenging yeah. um, and it's steep learning and, and it really um, pushes you. And, um, you know, this gentleman was lovely to work with. He worked in the aviation industry and he'd recently retired um, and he had a, a really large stroke and when he came to the rehab ward he couldn't stand and he couldn't use one of his arms and you know he needed assistance with everything from you know toileting to that must have been overwhelming for you as a brand new OT meeting it, him <laughs> yeah yeah and I, th- I think because I'd worked with people when they just come into hospital you know it it was that was okay but it was just um getting my head around where do we begin together kind of thing um and by the time he left our service he was walking he was um 
you know, he, he couldn't use his arm at all when he came in and we were playing throw and catch with his affected arm and his goal around that was because he wanted to play catch with his grandkids. Oh, um, and he, yeah. he'd just been working so hard and he'd been so motivated and, yeah, he was walking, toileting, showering, he was doing all, the, all those kind of first step activities mm-hmm. on his own and he had so many prospects and um, had started planning even more meaningful goals for when he went home and he ended up returning home after rehab and I think just seeing his drive and his hard work and you know every time I knocked on the door and said I'm, I'm here again to get you working hard he had a <laughs> laugh and he, he enjoyed it and um he called me he called me about six months after to thank me and it just oh, wow. it felt really special he yeah it, it meant a lot to me that he did that so you, you've obviously supported him quite a lot and it was, yeah, as you said, great yeah. to see him get back to even just those basic tasks to begin with, but it got him home and then he was able to work on bigger goals, as you said. Yep, and he, and he did mm. say that those tasks were just so important for him mm. because he's pri- he was a private person and he, mm-hmm. and it, that meant a lot to him and um, even, even the hope it gave him to be able to take those steps and do those things again gave him hope for the other things he was going to achieve and... Um, yeah, he was he was really inspiring. Yeah. Well, sorry to bring it down a little bit after that, but every profession does have its ups and its downs. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some hurdles that you may have um, faced coming up through the OT ranks? Yeah. Um, look, I think there are little hurdles most days. <laughs> Just, you know, in every job you mm-hmm. have stressful days and days where you feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. and you know I think that goes to you know that's the case for everyone so, um, uh, so it's hard to pinpoint a specific uh, you know I I think in our job we we care and it's important to use your own self-care strategies for your sustainability sure. um, I, I do think as I said before when I was a new grad I had a two-year contract in a major hospital network and um, I think every time I rotated every six months, you were always jumping in the deep end. Because yep. I went from general medicine to um, chronic illness, like cardiology, respiratory and um, surgical. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to trauma ortho and then inpatient stroke rehab and neuro rehab. And just the jump every time, getting your head around the processes, the systems, the considerations when you're working with a client someone who's um you know heart rate's getting monitored and and Mm -hmm. you want to support them in getting out of bed and all those little little process things to Mm -hmm. consider every time you jump into a new area but I do also think it's the best best way to learn yep Um, true (laughs) yeah yeah so I can see your point there for sure and you know, I've already, I can, can see it and hear it in your voice, Nicole, how passionate you are about this profession. Um, and what do you think your strengths are as an OT? You know, I always find these questions hard to answer and I hear that's common amongst other OTs, but um, I definitely think my strength is having the awareness that you're constantly learning and you're constantly learning from others, you're constantly learning from new research um, and that you can give things but other people have a lot to give that you can learn from and I think that's really important yeah 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 and I think it's so important if 
you know, if a client has a question or they've got a need and, and you need to service that need in your role, if you're not sure about it, it's okay to say, I'm not sure, I need to go check and talk to an expert colleague or check the research or check the guidelines. I just think that's so important. And I think having that awareness is a strength because you're more likely to give your clients best practice, which is yep. what we're all about. That's well, what we, we strive for every day. Um, particularly here at, at, at IRS and, and talking about collaboration that's something that obviously is, is huge here in, mm. at this service um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you do collaborate with the other professionals here yeah um, I mean I think you've raised a great point because we know that teamwork and collaboration leads to better outcomes for consumers mm-hmm. um, and coming from an inpatient background like I said you, you know you work really closely in these teams because every day your patients are on the ward the team members are on the ward you're all there together but when you're in the community there's a belief Mm -hmm. that um, people work in silos a bit more but you know that's certainly been disproven in my transition Mm -hmm. to community neuro rehab Um, I I mean I think our practice does it particularly well but there's a lot of collaboration and it's just so important. We know with cognitive rehab that repetition and intensity is important. For sure. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you've got a, an OT going out once a week, a physio once a week, a speechy once a week, um, and they're all implementing that cognitive approach or that intervention, it's going to be beneficial for mm-hmm. the client. It's going to be less confusing as well. And, um, you know, the other thing is if you've got three different clinicians asking you the same questions over and over again. I mean, frustration. It's so frustrating <laughs> and you feel like you're not listened to, you're yeah. not heard. So, you know, we really like to collaborate and work together um, even in the way that we'll go out together to see a client because, mm. you know, one clinician has a certain perspective and expertise and the other clinician has other expertise and another perspective and when they come together you might get a a really good outcome. I think an example might be if um, if a speech pathologist is prescribing a communication device and um, the client's abilities with their arm and hand function has changed and um, you know they you need to collaborate together to find a device that's going to meet their communication abilities that they can use with their arms and hands. Um, so that might be one example where mm-hmm. we'd collaborate. Yeah and um we also collaborate with other um, clinicians at other businesses and services as well, don't we? Definitely. We work yeah. really closely with neuropsychologists as mm-hmm. well and, um, you know, of course, GPs and, mm-hmm. you know, whoever whoever is a important stakeholder for that client. Once we have consent, if it's indicated, we'll liaise, but it, it's very rare that you wouldn't be liaising with a GP or, mm-hmm. um, you know, going out there with another clinician or... Um, attending meetings together with the client and and things like that so if you think you back to your time at school when you were contemplating (laughs) becoming an occupational therapist would you make the same choice definitely (laughs) (laughs) i think that's probably a great place to finish thank you so much nicole for sharing your experiences thank you so much kathy no worries and that's all for now thank you for listening to bouncing back (laughs) 